Welcome to the Willie Jackson Experience. I'm your host, day one, the only Willie Jackson. Oh, dang, that was pretty sick. All right, um, I got a really good show for you guys. Um, one thing that I kind of was running into a little bit is it just seems like everyone's just battling nowadays, man. Just everything's just. You know, you're arguing this, you're, we're arguing code all the time, you know. And and I'm always trying to go on these different uh, groups and stuff. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, dude, really? This is like a total conspiracy theory, man. Dude, you, you got to check this out, you know. Uh, the Obercron variant, and, you know, like everyone's just talking about all this different COVID stuff. And, you know. Well, I'm telling you, it's the pandemic, and and I'm just like, okay, dude, all right, you know, um, you know, I it I have a really hard time believing that, uh, you know, that they actually planned the pandemic to happen like during Trump's presidency. Uh, I really think that you know, yeah, they probably were trying to genetically modify things and do stuff and whatever they were trying to do i don't know but i don't think they were trying to purposely you know take trump out of office and you know everyone's like oh dude willie dude they totally stole the election uh, you know what uh, there's probably a little bit of truth to that i mean when you when you get like boatloads of absentee ballots just because of the pandemic or whatever you know i mean that's gotta be uh, i don't know and then they're oh we just gotta count every boat we don't care if they're legal or not okay well you know how can we counted like the same one like 16 times you know i mean that to me that's a little ridiculous i mean you know everyone's oh dude willie you ain't got no proof on that oh uh, well yeah probably not but like when you sit there and look at the cyber ninjas they go in and they're checking out the data in Arizona and uh they're sitting there saying um there's like three duplicate ballots and all were for Biden and the person that was the duplicate from was, was saying dude everyone in the whole entire town voted for Trump how is there one vote for Biden let alone three of the same exact ballot and then they start looking at the the trace number on them, and they're like, "Oh, okay. Well, there's no there's no record of it being sent. There's no record of it being received. And there's three of them. And that's just one example that I'm talking about. You know, like that's not just a fluke that that happened. So I mean, you know, I'm not saying that the election was stolen or anything." I'm just saying there's a lot of weird stuff that happened. And, you know, this is not a bipartisan election system we have. You know, this is not, you know, you don't have like 50% Democrats run this part and 50% uh, Democrats run this part. This is a straight, um, all the way across the board, um, Democrat system. You know, the Democrats run it, they take care of it, they check the facts, they they do everything. So, you know, it's really hard. Like, I'm not really hard left or really hard right or anything like that. I am just, I am just fed up with the fact that, 
we just get whoever the hell they want us to get and it's what it is what it is and so i don't know i i've been ripping on biden a lot and i think he deserves it i dude i i think they need to probably go in there and just remove all them people but you know it is what it is um you know that's why i'm doing this podcast is because i found a really cool um story about some world ones world war one it's a it's from world war one uh it tells all the dates on there and everything but they had they all of a sudden on uh christmas eve the soldiers were singing christmas carols and all of a sudden just one of the soldiers just came out of the trench and started walking across and everyone like i mean he probably should have been shot and killed, but then they were like, oh, and, and he was singing Christmas Carol when he came out of the trench, and then next thing you know, one of the other guys came out of the trench, and he's singing Christmas Carol, and so then next thing you know, here, all these guys start coming out of the trenches, and they start singing this Christmas Carol, and um, so there's a pretty cool song about it, and it's a really cool story, and and I thought it was really cool because, you know, we could kind of unite, and, and then they had to go back into the trenches after that I think they said it lasted like a day and a half two days and then they had to go back in the trenches and start killing each other again you know and so it's it's pretty interesting and and then you know they um had like a whole thing where both sides uh generals were like no fraternizing with the enemy and da 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 but just one day of freedom so hope you enjoy the music I'm using is by a band called Sabaton, and uh, it's called A Christmas Truce. And what's really funny about it is I was telling people about it, and they're like, oh, that didn't happen. There's no way that happened. So, I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. It's been researched, and the whole reason that they found out the truth about it was because all the opposing army soldiers, um, whether they're on the German side or the British side, they were all in pictures so that's the only way they know for sure that it actually happened because they were all in pictures together and there's no way they would be in pictures together on opposing armies so hope you guys enjoy the show i think i think it's pretty funny
In 2016, IWM was contacted by the family of one of the soldiers shown in this photograph. We now know that this is Arno Bohm, a German soldier standing alongside British troops from the London Rifle Brigade. They're standing together in the middle of no man's land during the Christmas truce of 1914. This photograph captures a moment so unusual in the First World War that many people at the time, and to this day, believed it to be a myth. In the midst of a brutal, total war, how did this momentary peace come about? What impact did it have in the course of the First World War? And why did it never happen again? We were in the front line. We were about 300 yards from the Germans. And we had, I think, on Christmas Eve, we'd been singing carols and this, that and the other. And the Germans had been doing the same. And we'd been shouting to each other, sometimes rude remarks, more often just joking remarks. Eventually, a German said, tomorrow, you know shoot, we know shoot. At the start of the war, many believed it would all be over by Christmas. However, by December that year, it was obvious that this was not the case, and thousands of families and soldiers were facing a Christmas of separation, grief and hardship. So for those soldiers who are in the trenches over winter 1914, the conditions would have gotten gradually worse and worse. You got a lot of rain, a lot of frost, and the general living conditions would have been terrible. But the British troops were not alone. In the trenches opposite theirs, sometimes only 30 yards away across the strip of no man's land, were German soldiers in the exact same situation. There was lots of opportunity for each side to communicate with the other. And this was a regular thing which happened right from the start of trench warfare. Um, but communication would often be in the form of soldiers from one side shouting over insults to those in the other trenches. But what was interesting at Christmas is that both sides actually started to communicate in more friendly terms. It really began with the Germans singing Christmas carols and setting up Christmas trees uh, on top of their parapets. And so they came to very much empathise with one another. I remember very well Christmas. I remember the Christmas day when the German and the French soldiers left their trenches, went to the barbed wire between them with champagne and cigarettes in their hands and uh, had feelings of fraternization and uh, shouted they wanted to finish the war. And that lasted only two days, one and a half really. And then strict order came that no fraternization was allowed and we had to stay back in our trenches. The Christmas truce varied in different parts of the front line. Ceasefires were hastily arranged, sometimes to enable the collection and burial of bodies or to allow the trenches to be repaired. In other cases, the soldiers simply enjoyed fraternising with the other side. And uh, we shared fags, goodies, with the Germans. And then from somewhere, somehow, this football appeared. Was it a proper football? It was a proper football. But we didn't form a team. It wasn't a team game in any sense of the word. You know, it was a kickabout. Everybody was having a goal. It came from their side. It wasn't from our side where the ball came. How many people were taking part, do you think? Well, I should think there'd be at least a couple of hundred. 
Did you kick the ball? Oh yes, I did go at it. I was pretty good then, 19. <laughs> but while some parts of the front line were playing football and swapping stories, others were confused by what they heard or felt no inclination to socialise with those they had so recently been fighting. After a few moments, there were lighted objects raised above the German parapet. The Germans were shouting over to our trench. There's no doubt about that at all. And before we could take any action or do anything, we were ordered to open rapid fire, you see, which we did. The Germans did not reply to our rapid fire. They simply carried on with their celebrations and were having a, a very fine time indeed. They certainly were not going to do it anymore. They thought that we were idiots, I suppose, that we were. Well, not us, but the command, you see. The way that trench warfare was organised in the First World War, each sector was very distinctive. And so you wouldn't necessarily know what was happening in the sector next door to you. And you do get stories of one area of the front where they're experiencing a truce, but then suddenly they get fired on by the troops in the next sector who don't realise what's happening. For those soldiers not involved, the truce must have seemed unbelievable and even more so for those back home. For months, the media and government propaganda had shaped a perception of German soldiers as bloodthirsty enemies, baby-eaters, devils, ruthless killers. But news of the remarkable Christmas truce soon spread abroad. By the end of December, letters and photos arrived home, and newspapers began to publish accounts of the truce. My father was delighted to have a letter giving such a description of events, and he sent, it up, sent them up to the Daily Telegraph. I got into frightful rocket. That showed up that it must have been me who wrote it. And he, Mossy, got hold of me, gave me an awful dressing down for daring to write to the press. But of course I didn't. <laughs> My old man wrote to the press. These photographs were taken on personal cameras that some soldiers had taken with them into the trenches. Photography in the trenches was discouraged for obvious reasons. But during the Christmas truce of 1914, soldiers on both sides of the trenches could not resist the opportunity to document such a unique event. At the beginning of January 1915, the newspapers suddenly start printing these letters. And to begin with, there was a certain amount of disbelief. But then over time, suddenly photographs started to appear as well. And by that time, the evidence was clear that this did happen. It wasn't a myth. And the media at the time absolutely loved it. There were lots of discussions in the newspapers about whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. And, you know, in a way, it's a wonderful snapshot of Christmas 1914 when attitudes were still slightly naive because the war had only really just begun. You find that in 1915 and onwards, the war becomes almost a much more serious endeavour. The Christmas truce would come to be remembered as something of a blip in the regular conduct of the war. It conflicted with the patriotic aggression required by both sides. It also served to highlight the great contrast between war and religion. How can you fight a war of aggression while also celebrating Christmas, the traditional time for peace and goodwill? For those reasons, the Christmas truce was increasingly seen as unimportant and awkward to fit into the standard narrative of the First World War. You never get anything like the Christmas truce happening again. And over time, not only is it seen as an anomaly, but almost as a myth. 
and it gets to the point where people are actually doubting whether it happened in the first place, which continues, you know, right up to this day. So there's still a lot of confusion about whether there was a football match played and things like this. We didn't cross to France until March of 1915. But I, although it would be arrogant to say that the thing didn't actually take place, I very much doubt whether anything of the nature or magnitude that has been claimed for it took place at all. Now, the purpose of that barbed wire in the trenches was to keep each side in its own place. Therefore, why would anybody try to break that? And if anybody tried, what were the NCOs doing? What were the officers doing? I think the whole thing borders on the fairy tale and may be classed with the Russians with snow on their boots and the angels of Mons. We know by looking at uh, German newspapers that the Christmas truce was covered there in a very similar way to how it was in Britain. In the 1920s and the 1930s, you see definite examples of how the Christmas truce changes in its depiction because there was a much greater emphasis then on the German soldier as a hero uh, fighting a noble war, whereas the Christmas truce conflicts with that to a degree. So in Germany in particular, the Christmas truce goes out of favour definitely in the 20s and 30s, whereas in Britain it continues to be the popular celebrated story as, as part of the First World War. The letters and photographs that reached home in Britain confirmed that this remarkable event had indeed taken place, but it was one that was not to be repeated. The Christmas truce was unique and nothing like it happened again to that scale. And the reasons for this are varied. Immediately after the truce, the high command of both sides stepped in to make sure that fraternisation and ceasefires like this would not happen in the same way. But also, in the long term, the real reason that truces like this didn't happen is that the war changed in the way in which it was being fought. As the war progressed, there's a more centralised method of command. Those in the front line would have been forced into constant aggression you would have had artillery and trench mortar units constantly going. And also, of course, as the war progressed, it took a far nastier turn. So you get things like gas warfare introduced, increasing number of civilian casualties. Uh, you also get incidents like the sinking of the Lusitania. The temptation, I suppose, to empathise with the enemy and the desire to fraternise with them changed dramatically from 1915 onwards. It can be argued that the Christmas truce made little difference to the course of the First World War, but it would be remembered as a crucial moment in history. The truce has featured in films, television programmes, inspired songs, and even featured in adverts. It's become part of the symbolism used when discussing the First World War, as synonymous with that conflict as poppies, mud, and war poets. This unique event has become legendary, in part because the idea of peace at Christmas in such an unlikely place is an irresistible story. But its enduring legacy is also due to these incredible photographs and the interviews from those who were there, documenting an event that to so many still seems wholly unbelievable.
Till we look up and it's gone You like talking about 